I can't believe I ate that whole thing. Pizza, pizza. I'd like a burger, please. No mustard on mine, just ketchup. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I thought it would be fun to go back to food, one of my favorite topics. I know, I talk about a lot of favorite topics, but that's kind of the point of the podcast, right? They're all my favorite topics. But food has always been near and dear to my heart and I always love talking about it, so I thought I'd talk a little about it today. It's partly because we just came off the holiday season, and at the holidays we're always making food, we're always preparing cookies and snacks and salads and sides and main courses. So I'm always thinking about food around the holiday time anyway. But I also think about food just on an everyday basis because we eat every day. And you're always trying to find something interesting, relatively healthy, definitely tasty to eat every day. And so that's why I figured it was time to talk about food again. As I've done in previous food episodes, I actually have a recipe, which I'm going to give you at the end of the episode. I've talked about food in the past and how I grew up with dinners where mom made the traditional meat and potatoes kind of meal. That's because my dad was a meat and potatoes kind of guy. We had to have meat, usually beef, sometimes chicken, sometimes pork, occasionally fish, and potatoes, but the potatoes could be rice or rolls, something starchy. Something as a side that wasn't vegetables. We also had to have the vegetables, of course, but that's what meat and potatoes meant. You had to have the meat, you had to have the potatoes. I mean, if we were having hamburgers, the potatoes were actually the bun, because that's your starch. But we would always have hamburgers with a bun, some vegetable, had to have the vegetable as a side. And quite often that appetizer I've talked about, my mom always loved to serve grapefruit as our appetizer. I don't know why. I don't remember why. But we often had that appetizer course. I mean, it's not a course. It's a grapefruit on a plate. But mom would often serve us grapefruit on a plate as the appetizer to the meal. And we would all sit down at the table all at the same time, and we'd each have half a grapefruit. And I've told you about the grapefruit knife where you slice it so you get the little pieces and all you have to do is spoon them out. Nobody wants to struggle with that, especially when you've got three little kids at the table. Nobody wants to see the little kids trying to wrestle with grapefruit. So my mom would cut the grapefruit for each of us and bring it out and serve it to us, and we'd have our grapefruit. We got ours with a sprinkle of sugar on top because, you know, it's grapefruit. It's really tart. But mom was trying to get us our vitamin C and our fruit. What's a little sugar when you're getting your vitamin C, right? But yeah, we quite often had that appetizer. I mean, it wasn't all of the time, but it was often enough that I remember having grapefruit a lot. I also remember the first time I had grapefruit without the sprinkle of sugar on it. It was quite the experience. Oh, this is what grapefruit tastes like. But after the appetizer for dinner, we always had the main course, the side dishes, and then there was always dessert. Now, I'm trying to remember the side dishes. I was talking to Mrs. Gamer Dude about this because we always had a variety of side dishes. I mean, you could have a tossed salad. That's a side. That counts, right? A baked potato. That's easy. That counts. Rice. That counts. But mom would whip up a cheese souffle for a side dish. Now, I've made souffles. I've made a cheese souffle. They are delicious. They are also labor-intensive. I mean, there's the separating of the egg, the whipping of the egg whites... They're putting all the ingredients together, folding the egg whites in so you don't knock the air out of it. And I remember she would tell us not to run around in the house because she didn't want the floor shaking and knocking down the souffle while it was cooking. Because when you cook a souffle, the air in the souffle expands. That helps make it rise while it's cooking. Unless you have kids thundering around through the kitchen, then you knock the souffle down and it's very flat. We wanted our souffles poofy. But she would make a cheese souffle. And that would just be an ordinary side dish. 
She would make broccoli, but not like steamed broccoli. I mean, I guess it was steamed broccoli, but she used a pressure cooker. Now, pressure cookers are making a comeback in kitchens. People have pressure cookers. They have electric pressure cookers. They have ones that you put right on the stove. A pressure cooker is exactly what it sounds like. You're cooking with heat and with pressure, and it's a specially designed pot where you can lock it and you cook at a high heat and a high pressure, and that speeds up the cooking process. Now, if you know anything about science, you know when you heat something, it expands. If you watch water boil, the bubbles bubble. If you put pasta in boiling water, for example, the water bubbles up. If you put a lid on it, it bubbles up higher because the heat is rising and expanding. That's physics. When you put a lid on it, it contains the heat, but then the bubbling will raise the lid and stuff will overflow because the heat is trying to expand and get out of the pot. Well, the pressure cooker locks. So when you put the lid on it and you lock it, there's nowhere for the lid or the stuff inside to go as you heat the contents of the pot. So that intensifies the heat and makes things cook faster while they're under pressure. Of course, the risk is if you cook at too high a heat or if the seals on the pot fail, the lid could pop or the pot could explode, which has always been one of my concerns about cooking with a pressure cooker. The old style pressure cookers had a little valve on the top and you would release the pressure when it got too much. I don't remember exactly how that worked. I just remember that there was a valve on top and mom would jiggle it and that would release pressure. My mom was real good about it. We never had a single explosion in the entire time that I lived with my parents. But it always worried me that we had what basically amounted to an explosive device on the stove cooking our broccoli. But that's what mom used to cook broccoli. I mean, it worked. We always had very nice, mushy, soft broccoli, but I've never used a pressure cooker. And it's not something that I've ever really wanted to use either, because it's basically putting a small explosive on your stove. Not something I'm interested in doing. But those were the things that my mom made. Standard vegetables, peas, carrots, corn on the cob in the summer because we'd get it at the farmer's stand. Salad was always there. Broccoli when it was in season, and she used the pressure cooker for that. And then the main dish. The main dishes were usually basic things like hamburgers, chicken, spaghetti, meatloaf. She would do pork chops. My mom could do pork chops really, really well. They always came out tender. I don't remember a tough pork chop in my entire life. I don't know how my mom cooked them, but they were always good. As an adult, I've tried pork chops many, 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 many times. And I stopped trying because they always come out tough. I don't know if they cut pork chops differently. I don't know if I'm screwing up how to cook pork chops. Or maybe I'm just misremembering my mom's pork chops. Maybe they were tougher than I recall. But as an adult, I've never liked pork chops because I can't find them nice and tender and juicy the way my mom used to make. But I remember having good pork chops with my mom. She actually had a stuffed pork chop recipe. They weren't technically stuffed, but what she did is she had these big, thick-cut pork chops. They were about an inch thick. Maybe that was the secret. They were very, very thick. So they retained their moisture and didn't get tough. And when you hear the phrase stuffed pork chops, you figure, well, she's cutting them open and putting stuffing in them. That's not what she did. She made her stuffing. I've actually given you the bread stuffing recipe that she used. The same recipe she used to make stuffing for the turkeys, she would make stuffing for the pork chops. So she would get the pork chops ready, put them on a broiler pan, and then she'd make her stuffing. And she'd put a mound of her stuffing on top of each of the pork chops. That's what she called stuffed pork chops. They were really stuffinged pork chops. But, you know, we liked it because it was the stuffing we loved and the pork chops, which were good. And she would bake them. I don't remember how long. I don't remember what temperature. It's not something that I've ever tried to duplicate, mostly because I can't find pork chops that taste good. But I remember mom's baked stuffed pork chops when I was a kid. And we had that quite a bit, pork not being very expensive. 
She would also try to come up with other things. I remember after certain holidays, if we had leftover turkey or leftover ham, she would do something with the leftovers. I remember turkey a la king. I've talked about turkey a la king and chicken a la king in a previous episode. That was something that was really big in the 60s and the 70s. Chicken a la king. Mom would make it with turkey. Thus, turkey a la king. And it was an Americanized version of an Asian cuisine, turkey a la king. I don't know if it was actually an Asian cuisine or not, but by calling it a la king, it became much fancier. And I remember my mom telling us, okay, we're going to have turkey a la king with the turkey leftovers. And as kids, you know, what are we going to do? That's what mom's making. That's what we're going to eat. Okay, mom. Thanks. Turkey a la king. It's weird what you remember. I remember the turkey a la king. The reason that I think of it as Asian is because of the way my mom prepared it. It was chopped up pieces of turkey, which had already been cooked. This is the leftover turkey. And she had chopped up peas and carrots, and she created a gravy or a sauce for it, and she cooked it all together in a pan. And the sauce or the gravy, it was reminiscent of chow mein. If you've ever gotten chow mein at an Asian restaurant or a Chinese restaurant, you have all the vegetables in that sauce that they have. I don't know what they call it. It's just the sauce. But that was very reminiscent of the sauce or the gravy or whatever it was that my mom made for the turkey a la king. And then she would serve it in these puff pastries. She didn't make these. You could buy them at the grocery store. They were little puff pastries in the frozen food section. It's funny. I think I remember them as Pepperidge Farm. And there'd be six to a box and you'd take them out and put them on a cookie tray. And you'd bake them in the oven. They'd expand. And there was a little lid you would take off of it. It was a bread lid, a dough lid, whatever it was. It was kind of like phyllo dough, but not quite. I'm not even sure what kind of pastries they were, but they would expand when you cooked them. Then you'd take the little lid off of it, and you'd put your turkey a la king inside it. So you had your bread-type substance there, kind of like a dough cup. I know, it sounds gross, doesn't it? It wasn't gross. It was really good. But that's how we'd have turkey a la king. All of that stuff put into a puff pastry cup, and that was our dinner. One of the other things we did with leftovers was ham croquettes. Now, don't ask me what a ham croquette is. I haven't looked up the recipe in ages. As I was getting ready for today's episode, I was actually tempted to look up the recipe. And I said, no, I'm going to save that. I may do that down the road, but we don't eat a lot of ham. When I was a kid, we ate a lot of ham. And my mom was always trying to find different ways to serve it. And ham croquettes is one of the ways that she would serve it. I don't remember very much about the ham croquettes except the preparation. My mom had a meat grinder, one of those meat grinders that you put on the counter, and you feed the meat into it, and there's a handle that you crank, and it takes the meat and grinds it in this hand-cranked grinder. And it would basically shred the ham to make it look like ground beef, except it was ground ham. And then my mom would mix it with some kind of hollandaise-like sauce, if I remember correctly, and she'd form little logs of ham loaf, I guess is the best way to put it. I seem to recall that she baked it, but I don't remember, and I haven't looked it up. I don't have a fond memory of ham croquettes, and I think that's partly because, as a kid, we were enlisted into the cranking of the meat grinder, and we ground up a lot of ham to make ham croquettes. And they just weren't memorable. I mean, it was ham mushed together with a sauce, and we ate it. I remember Mom also made turkey schnitzel, and it was always turkey. It wasn't chicken. It wasn't beef. It wasn't ham. It was turkey schnitzel. She would get thin sliced turkey at the supermarket, and then she would bread it and then fry it in a little oil in the frying pan on the stove. That's turkey schnitzel. I mean, the whole process is super easy. You take your slices of turkey, dip them in egg, then dip them in breadcrumbs, then throw them in the heated oil on the bottom of the frying pan. Three or four minutes on each side, boom, turkey schnitzel. Yeah, she was always trying to find different things to feed us. 
And, you know, as a kid who liked to eat, I was happy with pretty much all of it. One of the things that she found for the holidays was something called ambrosia salad. Now, I've talked about this in the Twitch stream. I've mentioned it in the past in other episodes about food. Ambrosia salad was one of our holiday staples. Now, ambrosia salad, if you don't know, is that fruit salad with the little tiny marshmallows in it. We usually call it the fruit salad with the little tiny marshmallows in it. And there are different variations of the ambrosia salad. I have one of my mom's old cookbooks. It's a 1953 Better Homes and Gardens cookbook. As you can imagine, it's quite different than something you get these days. They do have a recipe for ambrosia salad. It's different from the one that I remember her making. Because I remember my mom being obsessed with finding Bing cherries. We had to have Bing cherries for her ambrosia salad. But looking through the cookbooks that I have that are hers, I couldn't find a recipe that has ambrosia salad made with Bing cherries. I don't know if that's her own variation or her mom's variation. And Bing cherries are just a variety of cherry. You can find Bing cherries. You can find Rainier cherries. There's all kinds of cherries. But the recipes in the cookbook that my mom had called for maraschino cherries, which is fine. Those are easy to find. As an aside, it was impossible to find Bing cherries in the supermarkets. I remember when I was a kid, the supermarket still carried Bing cherries in the can form. You could get a can of Bing cherries. I went to three different supermarkets this past holiday season, and Walmart found no Bing cherries. Everybody has maraschino, nobody has canned Bing cherries. But anyway, before I go too far down that road, let me get back to the recipe. This ambrosia salad, which is what we use for the holidays, is actually really good as a side or as a snack basically any time. And the recipe is so super simple, I never realized how simple it was. Well, let me rephrase that. I never realized how simple the revised recipe was. Because the 1953 recipe we have requires the cooking of a special kind of dressing, which is one of the reasons that it was a holiday thing for us. There's a dressing that you're supposed to pour on the salad when you put all the fruit together and put all the marshmallows in it. There's a dressing you're supposed to make from scratch, which actually takes about an hour to make. And there's cooking and there's cooling and there's stirring in things that you wouldn't think go into a dressing that goes on fruit, like vinegar. But the vinegar adds a certain bite to it. It's actually quite good. But that's why we didn't make ambrosia salad any other time of the year but the holidays. I'm guessing we did it at the holidays because it got fruit into us, even though it wasn't fresh, it was from cans. It got fruit into us at a time of year when you didn't usually get fresh fruit. Back when I was a kid, fresh fruit was not as abundant and not as inexpensive as it is these days. It's much easier to get fruit from California in your supermarket in New Jersey today than it was back in the 70s and the 80s. But it was always easy to get canned fruit. And that's what ambrosia salad is based on, canned fruit. Now, I'm going to give you the recipe for this. It's super easy. I'm going to give you the revised version. If you really, really want the 1953 recipe where you have to make your own dressing from scratch, you can shoot me a message and I'll send it to you. But this recipe is so easy, mostly because you don't have to make a dressing from scratch. You're taking Cool Whip and sour cream and that's your dressing. I know it sounds gross. It's not. You need those two combinations of flavors the sweetness of the Cool Whip, and the sourness of the sour cream to work perfectly with the sweet fruit that you throw in this. It's really good. It's great for a holiday treat. But I'm going to tell you, anytime you want some fruit in the winter, in the spring, in the summer, this is a light, tasty salad and you're going to love it. And it's so easy. So here you go. This is what you need. Get your pencil ready. Get your pen ready. Get your piece of paper ready. Write this stuff down. This works 100% and it tastes delicious. You need one container of Cool Whip. You know, those tubs of Cool Whip. And you can use the knockoff brand. Get your ShopRite brand. Get your Kroger brand. If the Cool Whip is too expensive, get the store brand. Get a small container of sour cream. 
I think the smallest they sell is 8 ounces. I mean, you can get any size you want if you're going to use sour cream anyway. You're only going to need a half a cup of sour cream. Then you need three different kinds of fruit. You need a can of mandarin oranges. You need a can of crushed or chopped pineapple. And you need a can or jar of maraschino cherries. Now, the recipe that I have calls for sizes, but you don't have to be wedded to the size. As long as you're in the ballpark. About 11 ounces of mandarin oranges, about 20 ounces of crushed pineapple, about 10 ounces of cherries. We actually used 20 ounces of cherries and it worked fine. Why? We like cherries. It's that simple. We like cherries. You also need a bag of shredded coconut flakes. You're going to find that in the baking section of your supermarket. You can get sweetened or you can get unsweetened. We actually used unsweetened. If you want a little more sweetness, you can get the sweetened. And you need a bag of the mini marshmallows. Not the giant ones you put on sticks for your campfire, but the mini ones. You're going to need two cups of those. That's usually about two-thirds of the bag. If you want to get fancy, you can throw some nuts in there, too. You do not need the nuts. We do not like the nuts. We don't use the nuts. But you can. You can throw in pecans or walnuts or cashews. Those are the ones that are suggested. But you don't need them. So those are your ingredients. Your Cool Whips, your sour cream, your oranges, your pineapple, your cherries, your coconut flakes, and your marshmallows. That's it. That's it. Basically... You're going to throw it all in a bowl. But to make it easy, put your Cool Whip and your sour cream into a bowl first. Big bowl. Blend it together. Mix it with a fork, a whisk, whatever you've got. Make it all nice and smooth. Then take each of the cans of fruit, open them up, and drain them. You don't want the liquid. It makes it too liquidy. You're going to drain them in a colander in the sink. Or if you don't have a colander, just hold the lid in place and drain all the liquid out, pouring the liquid into the sink. I mean, if you have the fancy colander, use it. If you don't, just get the liquid out. Then put the drained fruit into your mixed sour cream and Cool Whip. Blend the fruit in after each addition. That means stir it around. Make sure it's all mixed up right. Then throw in the cup of shredded coconut. Blend it around. It's simple. Use a fork, use a spoon, whatever you got. Mix it up. Then you throw in two cups of marshmallows. Blend it around. Mix it up. Get them all covered. And you're done. That's it. Seriously, that's it. That's all there is to ambrosia salad. You can serve it right up at that point, or if you're taking it to somebody's house for a side dish, or you're going to a barbecue, put it in the fridge, cover it with saran wrap, put it in the fridge, keep it refrigerated until you're ready to serve it. Boom. It's just that simple. And let me tell you, that's super tasty. You don't have to like mandarin oranges. You don't have to like pineapple. You don't have to like cherries. Somehow or other, the three of those things work so well together, especially when mixed in with the Cool Whip sour cream mashup. It's just really tasty. And then the coconut, it just gives it a nice little texture that not only tastes good, but feels pleasant as you're eating it. I know that sounds weird, but I noticed that it tasted and felt delicious. How does something feel delicious? Make this salad. You'll know. So there's some food talk for you to think about. My original plan when I did this episode was to give you a couple of recipes. I did the ambrosia salad for the holidays, but I've also been doing a lot of bread baking. I've actually found myself enjoying baking different kinds of bread. And I pulled out one of the most basic, most simple bread recipes, and I actually recorded the entire recipe and the entire process. But as I was recording it, I just kept waxing poetic about bread. And I kept talking and talking. I know, it's shocking that I would keep talking, right? It's probably hard to imagine waxing poetic about kneading dough. But you know what? The whole process is kind of cool. But rather than cram that into this episode, and rather than overly extend this episode with an extra recipe, I'm going to save that. I'm going to give it to you in another episode where we talk about food. Because bread is fun. Bread is tasty. Bread is life. Isn't that what they say? Bread is life. 
and making bread has been a very enjoyable and very interesting experience for me. But we'll save talking about that in detail for another episode. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. As always, I appreciate your support, and I can't thank you enough for all the time that you spend here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.